welcome back to a bonus episode of Case of the Sunday Scaries. I'm Elise. And I'm Annie. And let's just say we heard your feedback, everybody. That was a tough episode on Sunday. We knew it would be, but we hear you. You Annie runs our Instagram. She reads the messages. I've been getting messages that it wasn't just us that were so heavily affected by this case. So we wanted to bring you a much lighthearted episode, a little palate cleanser, if you will, a feel-good story to kind of offset how horrible that past case was. It was so rough. And I was not surprised that our listeners felt the same, just outraged and confused on why the adults continuously failed Sylvia. So I'm ready for a palate cleanser. What do you have for us? Well, it was actually while doing research for the Sylvia Likens case and looking into the hotline that I talked about at the end of the episode, the National Abuse Hotline, that I found this story of the founders of Child Help and how it all came to be. So we're going to be talking about this incredible story. But first, I got to tell you, it's been quite a week, Annie. You have had such a rough week. You've got to talk about the pups because I feel like they're part of our scary squad. How is everything going in your household? Well, what was going to be potentially very cute Instagram videos of three little pups, my dog, Blake's dog, which is uh, my dog, Gracie's one of her puppies, and Blake's girlfriend's dog all getting spayed at the same time and coming home <laughs> as little coneheads running around and, and honestly not navigating it very well. We've had a lot of doors being <laughs> run into. Um, unfortunately, took a turn. I got a call that Gracie, unfortunately, what we thought was kind of a prolapse as a complication of her labor. For those that don't know, I'll do a little backstory on Gracie. If you've been following me for a while, you probably have seen more than enough puppy stories on my Instagram, but I found Gracie literally on the side of the road. And we decided to bring her, the guy that was driving my U-Haul and myself, decided to bring her back to Arizona, or excuse me, I don't live there anymore, (laughs) Uh, bring her to Denver. And I was going to nurse her back to health. And then he was going to adopt her. A few weeks later, we found out she was pregnant with eight puppies. The Brady Bunch. (laughs) It was was a wild ride, let's just say that. But it was something that very, very quickly bonded her and I. And I'm going to try to say this without getting emotional, but I never knew I needed a dog until I got Gracie because as much as people say like, oh, you saved her and all this stuff, in a lot of ways she's made this transition to a new state so much more comfortable because you have a little buddy with you at all times. And honestly, if I could find a man that looks at me half as excited when I walk in the door as she does, I would probably be married right away. (laughs) (laughs) I can attest that dog adores you. Like whenever I come over, she always wants to make sure you're okay. She's like your little shadow. We'll be recording in your room and she'll just barge in the door like, I want to join the party. She's such a sweetie. And it was so sad whenever you told me the news. Yeah. Unfortunately, Gracie does have a tumor and it is cancerous. We're waiting on some biopsy results to confirm it is the type of cancer they suspect it to be. And there's positives and negatives with it. The positive is that it is a treatable cancer. However, she will need chemo and radiation and possibly surgery. So we have quite a battle ahead of us. I know I probably come on this podcast and it sounds like I've been complaining the past few months with, you know, taking a tumble and then COVID. COVID. (laughs) 
but by far this is the one that um that hurts the most because I just don't want to think of her in pain and I know that even though that there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel hopefully with this that the process of it is not going to be an easy one for her so Oh, I could definitely use some prayers sent my little puppy's way because we suspect that she's only about two years old. So she has been through it in her life from coming from an abusive situation to having eight puppies and now this. So, But she found you and like <laughs> I can't help but think of her still in Arizona on the side of the road. I mean, she would not have made it this far. So you are like her little saving grace to your point. Everyone says, oh, she saved me. But like you saved her too. And it's just adorable. We're all team Gracie over here. Yeah, she's my buddy. So if we could send some prayers her way, I would much or good wishes or whatever the heck you believe in, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take any of it. Uh, yeah, so it's been a little a, a rough day, but she is very pleasantly medicated at the moment, as are all the puppies. So there's been a lot of comic relief <laughs> amongst it. I've never seen Gracie so out of sorts, and I'm soaking up all of her very medicated cuddles. But on a totally different note, have you watched, because that's all I've been doing the past 24 hours, is cuddling her and watching TV. Have you seen The Patient? I have. Hulu? So we talked about this a little bit. You were texting me about The Patient, and I started watching it. I'm obsessed with it. Okay, so for those that don't know, this is not true crime related, but if you like the true crime genre and the psychology behind it and all of that stuff, I think you will really enjoy this show. I don't like horror films like pop out, scare you, like boo in the night kind of things. It's Same. Just, I, I don't enjoy it at all. Mm -mm. But this is, I'm not giving anything away. Steve Carell, who you know is Michael Scott from The Office, is playing a totally different character. And he's a therapist that clearly has gone through some rough stuff. But he has one patient who he's having trouble connecting with who later kidnaps him. And you find out that the patient is a serial killer who wants Steve Carell's character to basically help him through therapy to not act on these compulsions anymore. And it's wild. It's so good. And I was, okay, I've just gotten into The Office. I watch what? probably eight <laughs> episodes a day. I cannot stop. So I was a little bit hesitant because I'm like, he's so funny in The Office. How is he going to transition to this other character? And he kills it. Like, no pun intended. <laughs> I mean, he does such a good job. And he just is like this broken man. I feel so bad for him. No spoilers, of course, but he has been through some things. And it's such a good show. I hate that it's a kind of series where you have to wait until a new episode's released because I wanted just to binge it all, and that was not possible. I think Netflix has kind of spoiled us where they'll release like an entire season in one day and during Agreed. the pandemic, everyone mm -hmm. had all the time in the world to like binge watch a series. But uh, you guys, if you have Hulu, it's worth checking out. I have a theory though. I'm not going to share it, but maybe I'll text it to Annie just because I don't want to spoil anything, but I have a theory that things are not quite as they seem. Oh, definitely text me it. I want to know. I want to pick okay. your brain. Okay, I did also watch Blackbird. Finally. So good. That was one that I did binge. Like, I couldn't stop watching it. The main character, like you said, is chef's kiss. So, so gorgeous. And just the story, because it's based on a true story. I was mind blown. Yeah, and it's one that I'm actually diving into for a future episode, because the true story is just as 
fantastical as the show, but the acting in that, you guys, if you have not watched it, that is a great show to watch. The acting, if they don't win awards, we're doing something wrong. And the character development, I liked every single character, even the ones that I wasn't supposed to like. I still like them. Exactly. And that's why they played it so good is even the character that the entire time you're sitting there going, I'm supposed to hate this guy. You have moments where you're laughing along with him and kind of siding with him. And the next minute, you hate him. Yep. And to be able to play that role so perfectly where you do empathize with someone that you would have just absolute disdain for in real life because of what they did is impressive. So those are our two recommendations for bingeable shows. If you're like me and needed some uh, distraction from your real life for a while, those are two shows that will definitely keep your brain occupied. But we got to dive into this little mini episode or we're going to quickly turn it into a full length episode. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, again, wanted to warm your hearts a little bit with this story. It is something I had never, ever heard of. And I wish news stories were covering more positive stuff as well like this, because I think these stories need to be told too. So for this episode, I relied very heavily on the childhelp.org page, as well as the Wikipedia sites for Operation Baby Lift, which sounds crazy, and it is, and for child help. I also highly suggest the book Silence Broken. It was written by the two women that we'll be talking about today, Sarah O'Meara and Yvonne Lime. go back to 1958 where Sarah O'Meara and Yvonne Lime were young actresses performing in The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, a movie I have never seen. But these two women had superstar power. They were really up-and-coming actresses. The two women almost immediately after meeting became great friends, lifelong friends, or as my mom would say, bosom buddies. Don't understand that phrase, but that's what she's always described two girl best friends as. (laughs) In 1959, the actresses were sent over to Japan. Obviously, during this time, we had just come off of World War II. We had a lot of goodwill performances going on overseas to help increase the happiness of our soldiers. So a lot of actors and musicians were going overseas to entertain the troops. When Sarah and Yvonne took this trip, however, it became a lot more than what they expected because when they got to Tokyo, a typhoon really shut down almost all of Tokyo. And people were told you have to stay indoors. The weather, of course, was horrible. Electricity is out. It's a mess. But I can tell you from experience, because if you're ever on a reality TV show, you usually start by being quarantined. Uh, And this is even pre-COVID. You don't have your phone. You don't have anything. You're just stuck in a hotel room for about four days. And that was four days too long to my ADD brain. (laughs) I was going absolutely nuts. So I can imagine that these two young actresses got pretty bored because I sure did. And they decided to venture out. Sarah and Yvonne left their room to wander around Tokyo, try to catch what sights they could. But what I can't imagine they expected was to stumble across a group of shivering children They were barefoot, huddled together in an attempt to stay warm, and the two women immediately rushed over, tucking the children under their coats, trying to warm them up. And I think this is so sweet. They couldn't speak any Japanese, but luckily, because they thought they might run into someone while they were out doing what they weren't supposed to be doing, which is (laughs) sightseeing in Tokyo during a typhoon, they had taken along with them English to Japanese dictionaries so they could have kind of rough conversation with people. So they tried to talk to these kids and make out what this situation was. 
And they soon were able to figure out that these poor children were out in this weather because they were orphans. Oh, that's so sad. And it actually gets worse because keep in mind, again, this is after World War II. There is some bad blood between the U.S. and Japan at this time. So many of the children that were not taken into orphanages like other Japanese children were because they were mixed race. These were children who oftentimes had been fathered by American soldiers during the war or other allied forces. And orphanages would not receive government funding if they took these children in. It's really heartbreaking to know that they were actually called throwaway children. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I thought you said this was going to be a lighthearted episode. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. Okay. I just got to set the scene here. <laughs> so the two women took in all 11 children back to their hotel room. Okay, I just want you to picture in your head the doorman. I don't even know if they had a doorman. But if they did, he's sitting there like, okay, bye, ladies. It's a terrible idea. You're supposed to be staying indoors. And they come back with this horde of children <laughs> like little ducklings following the mom in the rain all soaked what a sight they knew immediately that they had to do what they could to help these children the ones again deemed by their own country as throwaway children which is disgusting during their performances they would tell the story of the young orphans and pass around a hat for donations from the servicemen with their donations they decided to start their own orphanage one that would support children regardless of their racial background i love them the bosom friends wherever your mom calls them bosom buddies yes <laughs> sarah and yvonne were told about a woman named and please give me a little credit here for this name it's kim haruki i believe it's pronounced but she was known to most as mama kin mama kin lived in a hut with just one room and housed several children Sarah Navon again heard about her, got connected with her, and they offered to pay for the care of the 10 orphans that already lived in this one-room hut, as well as the 11 children that they had found on the streets during the typhoon. I mean, bless Mama Kim. Annie, I, I think we've all complained about, I don't have time to myself, but this poor woman is in a one-bedroom structure with 21 kids now. So selfless. It does restore my faith in humanity hearing stories like this because She's definitely an angel on earth, taking care of these kids, probably living penny, you know, penny to penny in a little Absolutely. bitty hut, but still opening up her heart in her home. It's just well, makes keep me in feel mind, good. She's opening her home and not getting any government assistance <sighs> because she's helping children that were of mixed race. I just props to Mama Kim. I wish mm -hmm. I could go back in time and like book you a spa day. <laughs> Well, it was about to become an even tighter squeeze for Mama Kim because when word spread about what these women were doing, within three weeks, 100 children were dropped at Mama Kim's doorstep. Where are they supposed to go? I don't know. She's going to have to put some in the rafters. I don't, I don't know. That was a lot a, of kids. That is a lot of children, which just shows like what a need was happening during this time. But that is a lot of kids just showing up at your door. So Sarah Devon, with the help of donations from the U.S. soldiers, got Mama Kim into her home where she could more adequately care for these children. Now, I had some questions about this. What home would you need for one woman to house that many children? Like, you would need an estate. Yeah, you'd need a house bigger than the White House. But I doubt she got that. But unfortunately, I was not able to find a picture of her home because... My God, I hope they built her a palace. Right. When the women returned to America, they didn't return to the glitz and glamour of their Hollywood life. Instead, they went to work fundraising and built four orphanages in Japan for mixed-race children. And guess what? 
But unlike most stories on this channel, this one actually just gets better. I have a big old smile on my face. I can't stop. My cheeks kind of (laughs) hurt. The U.S. government was so impressed by their work that they asked for their help in doing the same thing in Vietnam. Sarah Navon built and maintained five orphanages, a hospital, and a school in Vietnam and formed the International Orphans Incorporated. Over the next few years, their platform kept growing and they were able to continue building these orphanages in Japan and Vietnam, adding five orphanages in just a few years in Japan alone. During a fundraiser, Lieutenant General Louis W. Walt, who the two had worked with really closely in the past, asked to speak to the ladies privately. He told the women in a very hushed voice, because I don't think this is information he had clearance to tell people, he told them that he believed the president was going to instruct him to pull the troops out of Vietnam. He said to them, I'm telling you right now, I don't want to hear a word about the children. There is absolutely nothing I can do. It will be hard enough for me to evacuate our men, so I don't want any problems concerning the children. Now, that seems really harsh, Mm -hmm. but let's backtrack and keep in mind that this man had worked hand-in-hand with them in Vietnam to really help these children up until this point. I wasn't alive during all this, but we all know that during the Vietnam War, things were tense to put They were very sensitive. Yeah. Right. And so to get the men out of there was a huge job in and of itself. So I can understand why he said this. And he probably said it rather brokenheartedly, I would imagine. So the women are incredibly upset and they begged the lieutenant for his help with the children. They were afraid because the children were mixed race that they would be first to be killed as the orphanages were funded by Americans. So once the troop leaves, who's there to protect them? Oh, I did. Yeah. The lieutenant who had helped them so much in the past with the Vietnamese children had his hands tied. Well, that didn't stop them because these ladies sprung into action, getting Congress to agree to get planes over to Vietnam to evacuate these kids. They worked in tandem with volunteers, adoption agencies, and foster homes. And just a few weeks later, this is the cutest name I've ever heard of, Operation Baby Lift. Oh, <laughs> now this was named by the media, but I'm going with it because it just it reminds me of like some giant crane. That's what I'm thinking with right? a baby in like the little scarf <laughs> holding it up by its beak and like going across the ocean. That's exactly yeah. what was in my head. <laughs> oh, I love that name. They would bring 2,500 children to waiting adoptive homes in the U.S. and different allied countries. Unfortunately, one of the first flights in this mission would crash when there was an explosion 12 minutes into the flight. 176 people survived and 138 were unfortunately killed in the crash, including 78 children. This operation in modern times has now raised some questions about whether this was truly in the children's best interest, uh, what kind of background checks were done on these children to make sure they were orfans, didn't have – I mean, there's there's some I can see that. confusion mm-hmm. now, but – I'm going to choose to believe, and from what I've seen of their work since then, that Sarah and Yvonne at least were doing what they thought were right with the knowledge they had at the time. They had their hearts in the right place, 100%. Nancy Reagan, who at this time is the first lady of California, not the U.S., knew what Sarah and Yvonne had done and invited them to speak out about their experience and to shed some light on the child abuse happening here in the U.S. as well. This is a direct quote from the childhelp.org page. Later that year, the Senate Subcommittee on Children and Youth released a study that child abuse had become an epidemic in the United States and was the leading cause of death in young children. This horrific statistic showed the intensity of the issue in our own country 
and helped to urge many to join the cause. Unfortunately, this statistic is still true today. I had no idea that one of the leading causes of death in children is abuse. It is baffling to me. I was like, did she read that right? But really, and then you look at Sylvia's case and you look at today and it's like nothing's really changed. Well, you know what? I'm going to challenge you on that. You're going to give me a little silver lining? changed, yes, is these two women being kick-ass ambassadors for children. The two women continued their work on the behalf of children and opened their first treatment center in California to provide severely abused children a safe place to call home and continued therapy. While most people would think, wow, ladies, you know, 2,500 children from Vietnam, all these children in Japan, like, you've done a good job. You can sit back and relax now. Mm-mm, not Sarah Navon. In 1982, the first national toll-free hotline, 1-800-4-A-CHILD, was set up by Children's Village USA which was what child help was called at the time. That hotline still operates today, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and offers not only reporting or tip opportunities for people who suspect child abuse, but offers support services and resources. And here's something I absolutely love. Only professional crisis counselors answer that hotline. That is amazing. So these are volunteers and people that work there that are trained and knowledgeable of how to help someone in crisis if they're calling on their own behalf or to help in all circumstances. They're actually educated on this. So I think that's incredible. So are the ladies done now? No. No, they're not (laughs) because this episode is full of joy. I went through a long list on the childhelp.org page of all of their accomplishments. I'm going to just pick out some that were highlighted to me or that stood out to me, but you go on there, read through what these women did. It is pages and pages of like different organizations. It's just incredible. So Children's Village went on to produce informative pamphlets to schools nationwide, and they did a brochure called Child Abuse in You to help people recognize and report child abuse. They co-sponsored an international conference on child abuse with NATO. In 1983, Children's Village USA was changed to what we know as now Child Help USA to focus on domestic awareness and programs, and they also formed Child Help International to help with international programs. They then established the International Alliance on Child Abuse and Neglect, which helps children all over the world and shares knowledge with other child advocacy programs just to make sure everyone is in the know about new threats coming out, what's happening all over the world. Child Help opened group homes in California and worked closely with Children's Protection Services to make sure the homes offered what the kids would need in order to heal, not just a safe place to lay their head, but actual prolonged therapy. In 1987, shout out to the year I was born, Pope John Paul honored both Sarah and Yvonne for recognition of the dedication to the loving care and commitment to protection of abused children all over the world. Obviously, when the Pope says something, that puts a lot of eyes on it. So whatever your religious background, this was a really big moment because it put a lot of eyes on what they were doing. In 1988, Nancy Reagan, who is now First Lady of the United States, her and her husband, President Ronald Reagan, would give them the Crime Victims Week Department of Justice Award followed the very next year by an award from the Queen of England for her work in international collaboration to prevent child abuse. Wow, that's an honor. Right? And I would just be afraid I would curtsy wrong. There's so many (laughs) rules. Like, don't look her in the eye. I don't know if any of those rules actually are true, but I'd be terrified. (laughs) 
I'd end up like falling over into her lap somehow. I, feel I would like. love to see you in front of the queen. I would pay money for that. <laughs> I am a lot of things. I don't think dainty is one of them. So <laughs> I don't know how that would turn out. By 1990, the Child Help National Abuse Hotline expanded, adding a computerized telephone system capable of handling up to 5 million calls a year. Unfortunately, I wish they didn't have to do that, but it's great that they were able to. Child Help continues to expand its reach by launching the Adult Survivor Program, an ongoing therapy and support program for those who have survived abuse. This was not a very common practice at the time. The center was really focused on children in active abuse situations and probably didn't really know a whole lot about that trauma and how it continues into adulthood. So it's really amazing that they were able to kind of be proactive about that when I think a lot at that time, a lot of that went ignored. That is very cool. I mean, we see it being, you know, true crime podcasters, how childhood really has an impact on adulthood. So I'm glad that they added that on. Oh, I'm not done yet, Annie. And this is just a summary. More good news. <laughs> More good news. Child Help went on to open numerous different facilities literally all over the country. One of note, at least to me, was the first Child Help Southern Regional Office in Knoxville, Tennessee. This was the first of its kind because they really focused on a one-stop center for interviewing victims of sexual abuse. So what that means is instead of having to go to a hospital, then having to go to the police department, then... It was all in one place where someone could feel safe. They knew the people they were interacting with, which is very, very important. I mean, when you have all of your rights and dignity stripped away in such a terrible way, to have some semblance of comfort and know that you're not just shuffled around to all these new people, I would imagine would be wildly beneficial. Child Help initiated legislation. I did not know this, and this gets me fired up. Child Help initiated legislation to authorize the establishment of the National Registry following child abusers from state to state. The registry is enacted by President George Bush in 2006. They also are the ones that launched the Child Help Alert System, which is that friendly neighbor that lets you know when a registered sex offender has moved into your neighborhood. We can credit the ladies and Child Help for that information as well. That they are doing so much of the Lord's work out here. I mean, they started with this mission kind of just serendipitously by finding those 11 kids in that typhoon. And now look at how far it's come. That is amazing. I want to meet them. (laughs) Me too. And you know what? Maybe you can. We'll get to that in a minute. I obviously, like I said, I could go on and on. These ladies have done a lot. And I'm not saying it's them alone. They have a whole foundation backing them now and access to a lot of different resources. But these two truly started it out of the goodness of their hearts and really grassrooting efforts, like passing out this hat to collect from the soldiers who probably didn't have much to give at that time. So I'm just maybe projecting onto them that they must be incredible storytellers to have all of these soldiers rising to the occasion to help them out. So props to them. It's unbelievable what they accomplished. And Annie, they have been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize nine times. Oh, well-deserved. I would like to see them win it, personally. If you want to see everything Child Help has done over the years, please check out childhelp.org. They do a full rundown by decade of what has been going on. And if we're talking about some of the hardships the pandemic has brought us, 
It was really heartbreaking to read some of their stats in current day. The Child Help Hotline received about a 43% increase in calls because so many were trapped with their abusers during lockdowns and in the pandemic. But as horrifying as that is, I just can't imagine if we didn't have programs like this in place. And, and, and I don't even want to imagine it because it was not too long ago that we didn't have these advocacy programs, a national hotline, and we saw what happens when things go unreported when we talked about the Sylvia Likens case. And so many children who have been helped by the implementation of programs like this that maybe without it would have the same tragic outcome as Sylvia's story did. I think what stood out to me the most about this story is it's remarkable, like you said, what how one moment in your life can completely shift if you allow it to the direction your life is going to take. And these two women with budding careers in Hollywood, they're getting attention. They're getting all the things that so many of us like chase, fame, recognition, Instagram follows. They had all of that for the time period. There's actually a picture that I shared with Annie of one of these ladies being driven around by Elvis in his new car. Mm -hmm. So let's just say they were on the up and up. And instead of returning to these pursuits, which it's noble. If you want to be an actor, actress, go for it. But to completely switch from this emerging success and fame to reshaping their entire life's mission, they are still actively involved with child help. And this is 63 years later after they got started from one moment in Japan in the middle of a tsunami, they're still continuing their mission to protect the children of the world. And I think that deserves a round of applause. That is incredible. Absolutely. I'm just so happy I stumbled across this case because Sylvia's, as we've heard from our listeners, but also I know because I did the research, it was a heavy one. So I'm really glad I stumbled across this story. These women are incredible and in what they've done for so many children. I can't imagine how many children have been helped by the hotline, by all of these foster programs and advocacy programs. Basically, they were truly two women on a mission to make this world a better place. And they've done that. Yeah. And if you're inspired by their work, like I certainly was after reading this. I definitely am. I am directing you back to childhelp.org where you can learn how to be part of their cause by either donating your time. I understand right now it's financially tight for a lot of people. So they do show where they're having events, how you can help in your area. But they also do take financial donations. And let's just help these badasses carry on their mission because I don't know how they've done it thus far. I mean, they're 63 years into this and they are pretty remarkable. So if you've been inspired by them, like I certainly was, please check that out and maybe help out with a program or event in your neighborhood. Well, Annie, I think we both needed that. <laughs> we definitely did. So did our listeners. Yes. So um, you only get a short break from the gruesome and terrible things in this world because Annie is going to be back this Sunday. I have absolutely no idea the case she's talking about, so I'm going to be surprised right along with you. But as always, until then. <laughs>